I started last week's episode with a question I didn't answer. This was from Andy Bowden, and he posted the following on LinkedIn. Do you show your value through quantifiable results? If so, how? And if not, why not? Many of us struggle coming up with numbers that reflect what our employers seek from us. In last week's episode, I went off on a big tangent about how our brains are great for decision-making with limited qualitative data, which is good because that's mostly what we get as product managers. Our decisions tend to be based on qualitative data. That's what we have. Using our subjective but educated decision-making skills, the ones we are hired for, in a domain of extremely high uncertainty. So that's kind of a lot of the job description of product management. And that's the decision side of things. So obviously, covered that in more depth in episode number 92, the previous episode. Well, what about our results? And that's really the point of the original question. How do we talk about our results, particularly if we don't have fantastic numbers to go with them? So in this episode, I'm going to spend some time actually answering this question. I'm going to construe this to be both about our customer successes, as well as the stories we can tell about our own contributions. And the real quantitative results, that is, increased revenue and profits or increased customer satisfaction and retention or increased rollout velocity or whatever it might be, they're all super lagging indicators that everyone else wants to take credit for as well. Our short-term results are likely to be more qualitative. So one question is, can we turn those into numbers? And the next question is, even if we have numbers, they're often in kind of the 10% range, which is actually not that interesting from a storytelling standpoint. So how do you turn 10% into something interesting? So I covered this somewhat in episode number 90, but I'll do more examples. And of course, what really makes our stories land emotionally about ourselves and about our customers is the personal and business transformations, not the data. The data has a supporting role. So given all that, how do you show your value, including with quantified results? And the answer is kind of along these lines. There are ways to express quantifiable results even when you don't have the true correct numbers, such as, for example, missing quota three quarters in a row. I don't have to say what the quota was, how big the miss was, or what the impact on revenue or profit was for that to be clearly a quantifiably bad thing. Now, obviously, I don't want to have caused that. I want to fix that problem. But saying, oh, we missed quota three quarters in a row, and then talking about something I did to fix that, that's compelling. And then, for example, saying something like, after they implemented our solution, they started beating quota every quarter. That's the first thing. We'll get into more detail on this later, essentially taking values that you don't necessarily know the actual numbers for and still telling the story. Secondly, if you do use numbers, make sure they sound good. As I sort of mentioned earlier, no one cares about a 10% improvement in something, but often a 10% improvement is also a 90% reduction of something else or 100% improvement of something else. For example, improving uptime from 80% to 99.9% It's a 20% improvement. It's obviously a super good result, but it's only a 20% improvement. The number itself is interesting, but not that interesting. But it's also a two orders of magnitude, a factor of 200, in fact, reduction in downtime from 20% to like a tenth of a percent. If you talk about uptime, it's a 20% improvement. If you talk about reducing downtime, it's a two orders of magnitude improvement. Much better story. So in this episode, I'll talk about quantifiable but non-numerical results, I'll talk about turning 10% into a factor of 10 improvement, which is also the subject of episode 91. And I will talk about how to use numbers to buttress your story, because numbers are only support. Numbers don't make a story engaging. That comes from the transformation you enabled as a result of what you did that also potentially had quantifiable results. 
Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode number 93 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. You can find notes for this episode and links to all the resources I mention at secretsofpm.com slash 93. So the goal of the podcast, of course, is to give you information and insights to help you create better outcomes, including those for yourself, which is where storytelling comes in. The episodes are designed for you to take action on immediately. I want your mind racing, and I want you thinking to yourself that you can do it and you're leveling up. But before we get to the main topic, if you are just getting into product management or you're busy leveling up into more senior PM positions, don't forget there are a ton of resources in my previous episodes on storytelling, persuasion, prioritization, working with developers, working with marketers, a lot of soft skill stuff, a lot of creativity-related stuff, and on my website, secretpmhandbook.com. And if you want to accelerate your leveling up, consider working with me. Check out the link in the show page for a free 45-minute coaching and discovery call. No obligation, but maybe we'll find out there's a good opportunity for us to work together to help improve you, help improve your team, whatever it might be. But let's get into the topic. So there's two main situations where we don't have numerical data, but people want us to use numerical data. The first is to justify your decisions, which of course, as I mentioned, are made in this domain of uncertainty and are really about predicting the future, which we all know is challenging, right? And I talk about that in the previous episode. That's episode 92. This episode is about the other situation, your stories, where you want to use the data to buttress the value of your results. And these can be your stories about what you did or the stories of your successful customers and even the stories of your poor prospects who do not yet have your solution to their problem. And it's all about making results sound quantitative, even if you don't have numbers. There are lots of techniques for this, as it turns out. And the fact is that a lot of the numbers that we have put your listeners to sleep anyway, at least if they're unadorned. So you're not going to just talk about numbers. You're going to use them to adorn what you have in emotionally engaging details. It's not that numbers can't pack a punch, so to speak, but there's some particular rules about using numbers. So I read a lot of thrillers. And if you're familiar with Jack Reacher, they made a movie about him. There's a series of like 22 books. He's a guy that is really good at street fighting. That's one of his skills. And he often goes on an internal monologue in the books about the numbers of opponents he's facing in a fight and how to deal with them. But that's because there's a reason for these numbers. And they all lead to total annihilation. That's the key point. If they led to a 10% annihilation or they're otherwise squishy, the numbers he started with wouldn't be interesting at all. But he always ends up totally annihilating his opponents. Now, the numbers that are interesting, and this is that's a great example, the numbers that are interesting are extreme. Total annihilation, completely eliminated the problem. Factor of 10, better sales. Factor of 200, reduction in downtime. Think about some other movies. And I, I use movies as an example because they're great storytelling and they're very engaging. And all of us agree that Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible is being very successful at his job, right? So you think about the numbers in a Mission Impossible movie or the John Wick movies. Again, you are riveted, irrespective of the actual number of bullets shot or people killed. In the Wick case, it's also about total annihilation. In the Mission Impossible movies, it's about overcoming odds so steep that no one could overcome them. The fact is, to be totally engrossing and engaging and convincing, you don't need numbers. You need a story. And then stories that do use numbers, where the number is an important part of the story, use them in a very specific way. Think about the movie Seven. Seven is about the seven deadly sins. If there were six deadly sins, then the movie would be called Six. It wouldn't be called Seven. Seven is irrespective. It happens to reflect the number of deadly sins. In other words, it's not about the number at all. It's about a concept that happens to include a number. Most action movies are about total annihilation. Moby Dick, getting from the ridiculous to the sublime, it's about one whale. It's about one guy and one whale, also kind of about total annihilation. 
But it's the question is, can Ahab overcome his one giant problem, which is Moby Dick, or is Moby Dick going to defeat him? So the first rule, make your numbers extreme. And the examples I've been giving are obviously illustrative. I don't expect you to totally annihilate your problems necessarily, your customers' problems. But the nice thing about extreme numbers is they don't have to be terribly accurate. You can get away with orders of magnitude, like in the example I gave you before about the downtime. That was at a company called NetIQ, and it was a product called App Manager. So I don't have to say that downtime was reduced by 221%. I can say that it was reduced by more than a factor of 100. It actually was twice a factor of 100, but saying a factor of 100 is a good story. It's two orders of magnitude, and that gets the message across perfectly. But remember I said that numbers are used to buttress your story. They aren't the main point. So what's the main point in the App Manager example? Well, it's obviously great to be able to say there was a factor of 100 reduction in downtime, but the real benefit of implementing App Manager was that the system managers didn't get woken up in the middle of the night to fix server crashes because the server crashes didn't happen anymore. And that was a real part of their life, was they would have to get up in the middle of the night, there'd be a page, and they would have to fix the server crash. We eliminated that. That is a really good story. How did we eliminate it? By reducing the downtime by a factor of more than 100. So let's look at a bit of an example. This is a little bit made up, but it's not totally made up. It's based on other stories that I've heard. So let's say your customer, Acme, was missing quota for three or four quarters in a row. Then they implemented your product, and they started hitting quota every quarter. So hitting quota typically means maybe a 10 or 20% improvement in sales. Not that interesting from a numeric standpoint. Obviously hugely meaningful from a business standpoint, but the actual number is not that interesting. It's nowhere near as compelling as went from missing to starting making, right? That's a business, an emotionally engaging business result. Some business results are emotionally engaging, and that is one of them. The numbers actually kind of make it less interesting. The piece that brings it home, though, again, and it helps other prospects really want to buy your product, is when your customer says, because of our success with your product, I was promoted to sales director, and my whole team got to go to club. So if you say that to a sales manager who's your ideal prospect for this obvious, obviously for this solution. If you tell them our customers typically go from not making quota to the entire team going to club, that's going to help make them sit up and take notice. Way more so than, oh, we help you increase sales by 10 to 20%. The corollary is that this can work even if you don't have actual numbers at all, if the impact is extreme. So what you're looking for in your stories about yourself or about your customers is some kind of an, an extreme impact. For example, I have a coach friend who helps people have a healthier life. He tells a story about one of his clients who's a school teacher who's often saddled with the bad kid. She actually has the bad kid class. She'd always been overweight. Her sister had died from a disease related to being overweight. She was highly motivated to get healthy. It had really become kind of a life and death thing for her. So as he worked with her, after about 10 weeks, she started to sparkle. She'd lost some weight, but more importantly, her attitude had changed, her interaction with her family transformed, and her ability to handle these kids changed due to her internal changes. They perceive her differently. By being the best version of herself, the kids have responded really well. So the only number we have for the story is that she lost some number of pounds. Is that number important to the story? I would say not. Because the other changes, the more qualitative changes, are what enabled her to have a better experience with her kids. So do you need numbers to make that a compelling story? I would say you do not. In fact, numbers would probably detract from that story. Good stories have that kind of transformation. It's so big that you don't need numbers to see the importance. And this is actually something that you should think about when you're looking at what stories you want to tell about yourself and about your customers. Look for the ones that have an important transformation. If you just look for stories that have some interesting numbers, 
but don't have an interesting transformation to go along with them, they probably aren't that good of stories. The stories, you know, they're probably not worth telling. I mentioned earlier that product managers work in this domain of high uncertainty. This is important because there's a trade-off between things you can know with high certainty, which usually aren't that interesting, and things you can't know with high certainty, but which are usually more interesting and valuable. And I've often used the metaphor of the streetlight and searching around for a solution. It's like the old joke. A cop comes across a drunk guy wandering around beside a lamppost, looking intently at the ground and every few seconds reaching down as though to pick something up. The cop asks the man, what are you doing? The man says, I'm looking for my car keys. I dropped them. The cop asks, did you drop them here? The man says, no, I dropped them over there, but the light's so much better here. So maybe I can't tell a joke, but the point is that outside the range of the light is where all the interesting stuff is, like this guy's keys and maybe a city park. The lamppost illuminates the things we already know, the world that's already explored, but the world's opportunities are not under the lamppost, they're outside the cone of light. And until we start exploring with flashlights and other probes, we're not going to discover all those fantastic new things to know, to build upon, to solve our problems. And the reality is that the things that we can measure using our analytics tools, except for certain specific types of experiments that are intentionally going outside of the, lamp, the light from the lamppost, they're like exploring under the lamppost. A lot of the analytics we can have in our product are like that. This is an unfair metaphor, as I say, for certain kinds of experimentation, but those are the kinds of experimentation that are really for reaching outside the things that we already know about. And that's things like doing a lot of talking to customers, for example. Having conversations with customers about their unsolved problems, that's a kind of experimentation. The point is that most of the analytics we do get are like exploring under the lamppost. We're going to see some cracks in the sidewalk that we should fix, but we're not going to discover a whole new city park that's just over there. So what are the key points? Sometimes qualitative data is quantitative as well, like making or not making quota. And expressing that data qualitatively is often much more impressive than using the actual numbers. If you're going to use numbers, make sure they're extreme. And if you have small percentage improvements, find another way to express the improvement that sounds bigger, like I did with the uptime versus downtime measurement. And always tie the results to some kind of personal impact. You got a raise. Someone else got a raise. You got praise, etc. The things that are most meaningful for your stories are the things that had an impact. In fact, that's, as I mentioned, criterion number one for choosing which stories to tell, the ones where there was an impact, in particular a personal impact. So here's three things you can do today to start putting these ideas into practice. If you're going to tell a story about what you've done or a customer success story, find one that had a big impact, even if you don't have numbers. If you do have some numbers, make sure to make them interesting, extreme being the goal. And never leave out the personal impact components of the story. That's what makes it engaging and memorable and gets the prospect to buy or the hiring manager to say yes. So I hope you found this episode useful and interesting as a follow-on in particular to the previous episode. Data and discussions about data has become one of my favorite topics. I'm kind of a numbers geek, even though I'm normally pretty negative about simplistic approaches to analytics and so-called metrics, and you probably detected that a little bit in this episode. And this is because I kind of do know numbers and statistics, and I also know something about storytelling and how numbers don't make the story. So if you have comments or complaints on this episode or any other episode, you can drop me a line on the site at secretsofpm.com slash 93, or let me know on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm Nils Davis on both. Please subscribe to this podcast in your player of choice if you haven't already. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and or enemies, depending on how you felt about it. And if you 
thought it was a good episode or you like the podcast in general, please consider leaving a review for it on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Hopefully this was useful for you. Until next time, bye-bye.